Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Jay Scott, and you are listening to The Hook, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope everyone's having an awesome day. Good day to everybody. It's in the middle of the summer. It's all hot and sticky all over the place. Hope everyone's staying nice and cool and enjoying all their barbecues and their summer so far. Today's guest we have is Crash Crafton, all the way from Kansas. What's going on, Crash? Uh, Very little. Just trying to stay out of the heat. Yeah, you and me both. It's getting ridiculous out there. I think all over the states, it's like above average temps or the heat index is like over 100. It's crazy. We've actually hit a cold front here the last two days. It's been nice. It's only been in the mid 80s. Okay. All right. But it was up there 105 with like heat indexes 110 plus. Yeah. I mean, we had a little bit of a cool down today, but it's supposed to get back up to the higher temps towards the end of the week. Hopefully the AC doesn't uh, doesn't break down. But hey, anyway, that. <laughs> yeah. But as we begin each podcast, whenever we have uh, a guest that has never appeared on the show before, we always ask the same question, and that's the essence of the show. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, a performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What's your moment? What hooked you? Um, I can't pinpoint it to just one i can probably pinpoint it to a time i mean i can remember when i was was three or four my parents always had music playing in the house especially my mom and i was just transfixed with like elvis and richie valens and like john Fogarty, creedence clearwater revival and i remember i had she got me one of those little like i don't know tiger record players and i think it was for my fourth birthday she gave me 45s and one of them was like Elvis jailhouse rock. And then Richie Valens, La Bamba with had Donna on the B side. I remember that. And then uh Creedence Clearwater revivals, uh, fortunate son. And so that's really what led me down my path. And then I had a brother who's six years older and a sister who is eight years older than me. So between my parents and then hearing what my brother and sister were listening to, it's just been a lifelong addiction. So where did it go after Elvis, Richie Valens, and CCR? You know, how did you evolve into music? What was next? What was next was what my brother and sister were listening to, which was what was popular at the time there in the 80s, the mid-80s, late 80s, which, like my sister, liked everything from Metallica to Duran Duran. Uh, my brother was more into 
it was kind of weird. Like I can remember, uh, uh, what was it? Guns N' Roses live at the Ritz in like 87, 88. Yeah. I think that MTV special. I remember he recorded it on VHS and then dubbed it off onto cassette. And at that time I was big into playing baseball and he would set the house speakers in the window of our house. And we had like this big open field across from the house. It was like an open lot. And I would practice baseball over there. He would hit balls to me and I was a third baseman and he would put the speakers in the windows of the house and we would listen to Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and all the quote unquote hair bands of the time, I guess you could say poison this, that, and the other. And so, you know, I went down that path, you know, the all the eighties bands that I was big into and still love to this day. Poisons and the Motley's and the Skid Row and Warrens and yeah, that was you know an interesting time back then. I've had this conversation with a few people who've been on the show about the '80s. I always summarize the '80s in three parts, right? The first part of the '80s, like '80 to like '83, '82, was really raw. There was a lot of bands coming over from the UK and Europe. Um, the bands that were just coming out of LA at the time were really raw. You look at the you know the first Rat EP or the first Motley record or Quiet Riot, really kind of a swagger. You look at the stuff coming from the UK with Maiden and Saxon, Priest, who had been out for a while in Europe and in, in the States, you know, with Unleashed in the East and British Steel, were starting to gain a lot of momentum with Screaming for Vengeance. And then I always say that moment when Motley Crue released the video for Home Sweet Home, and the back photo of Theater of the pa- Theater of Pain really changed everything in the '80s in terms of how bands sounded because everybody had to have a power ballad after that, and how everybody looked. So everybody had to have mar- mascara and hairspray and wear women's clothing after that. And then yeah. the late '80s into the early '90s, bands really kind of became a parody of themselves. You know, like bands started to get signed based on what they looked like instead of how they played. You had bands that were appearing in magazines that you never heard a song from, but they looked the part. They looked great. So I remember how that evolved over those 10 years, over that decade. There really was a big shift at least a couple times during the 80s. You know, you, you think back of the early parts of MTV to the middle part of MTV in that decade towards the end where bands were just like you'd watch... I remember like in 89, 90 watching Headbangers Ball on a Saturday and these bands would come on and you really started to not know the difference between one and the other. I never thought of that, the the whole correlation between the Motley Theater pain and Home Sweet Home video. That's a very, very, very good point. I never thought of that. Well, when you think about it, no band really had that power ballad. I mean, of course you had Dockin' with Alone Again, and I'm trying to think of another band that had that signature ballad. I mean, you could say Journey, but Journey was more top 40. Journey was more, yeah. you know, uh, mainstream radio. For a hard rock band, when you think of where Motley Crue came from with the Too Fast for yeah. Love record and then the Shout the Devil, and then all of a sudden they've got this song Home Sweet Home, and then what followed that, I think maybe Scorpions before Home Sweet Home had to had, uh Still loving you off of Love It First Sting, but it really wasn't prominent because then every band started to have that power ballad, and then every band started to have two power ballads on the record. So it wow. really changed. I, I always say that if Dokken released Alone Again after Home Sweet Home, 
they would have been much bigger. It's just, yeah, you're probably right. I hadn't thought about that. Well, on today's show, you and I have discussed a lot over on Twitter through direct message. And one of our favorite artists we have in common is Richie Cotton. Oh, yeah. Who was kind of in the tail end of that rock movement in the 80s and the early 90s when he replaced C.C. DeVille and Poison with the, what album was that? Was it the Flesh and Blood album? When Richie came in, Richie did the Native Tongue. Native Tongue, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, but CC's last studio album was Flesh and Blood. That's right. That's right. So he did Native Tongue, and he wrote the big hit off that album, which was Stand. Didn't last very long because the music industry was changing, and Poison themselves, after that record, more or less went away for a while. But Richie kept playing. Richie kept doing his studio work in his studio albums, and he became really big in Europe and Japan and South America. Unfortunately, not until the Winery Dogs released their debut record, really did not garner much appreciation from music fans, rock music in general, until that first record. What, what is it about Richie that hooked you on him? Well, got to go back to the, uh, it would have been his actually second studio album that he did for Shrapnel Records in 1990, which would have been Fever Dream, which was his first ever vocal album. Um, at the time, my sister was married to a musician, and he was always giving me crap about, you know, liking Poison and this, that, and the other. And, you know, he was a musician, and he was big into, he he liked that stuff, too, but he also liked a lot of different blues artists and this, that, and the other. And he was always just trying to turn me on to other stuff. And he gave me the cassette to Fever Dream. And I really liked it. And, I, you know, of course, I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. And then his next album, Richie's next album was Electric Joy, which was another instrumental. And I never really, to this day, I don't really care for instrumental music. I appreciate it. And at the time, like Poison was my favorite band when I was a kid. Don't hold that against me, but, you know, they were, lo and behold, everything goes down CC and Richie joins. And I'm like, wait, that's the guy from the Fever Dream record. Then he was on the Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey soundtrack. And I'm like, whoa, this is cool. And, you know, and then the Native Tongue came out. I love that record. It's actually my favorite Poison record. Mine too. And then what happened with Poison, you know, happened. And then he put out, in 1994, he put out the Motherhead's Family Reunion record. And I was in a group home at the time, back in 1994, and I remember one of the staff members took me over to a neighboring town that had a record store, and they had ordered that record in, or the CD in for me. And I remember putting it in, and it was unlike anything I had heard. I mean, it had, you know, the rock, and it had the soul, and the R&B, and the blues influences. Oh, it's really diverse. You know, and I was like, wow. Since the Motherhead's record, Richie's been my all-time favorite artist. That record is just, it's my Led Zeppelin for, he's my Beatles, whatever you want to say, you know, my kiss. Richie Cotton's my favorite artist or group of all time. And so, you know, I remember having to buy all his stuff from Japan there in the mid to late 90s, into the early 2000s. And that was like $40 a CD. Couldn't get arrested in America. You know, and like you said, it wasn't until the winery dogs when he, you know, finally started getting some notoriety. That's how I got turned on to him was through the old brother, the ex-brother-in-law back in 
like 1991. I can't remember exactly when he gave that cassette. Yeah, the interesting background 1991. The interesting thing about Richie was he started out on the Shrapnel record label with Mike Varney with all the shredders, you know, the Jason Beckers, the Marty Friedman's, um, the Tony McAlpine's. He was phenomenal at that. If you listen to some of that early stuff, he completely rips. But what I appreciate about Richie is how he's continued to grow as a guitar player and the depth of his playing. When you think about the soul that he has in his playing, how he plays, how he hits the strings, in my opinion, and I've said this to others before, there is no other guitar player making new music today that is better than Richie. I just saw. I would have to agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I just saw the Rink of Tours last week with Jack White, great guitar player. He's got a lot of energy on stage. No way. Richie Conson just completely blows the doors off of him. The depth and the willingness to evolve and going from, you know, the Winery Dogs record, which is really a hard rock record. I know the second one's a little bit more progressive than the first to his solo stuff. When you hear Venom and then the one before that. Riot. Riot. Yeah. And you hear even Riot is a great example, right? Riot is very progressive and in the way he plays. And then it goes into the chorus and it goes right into like this R&B type of feel chorus. And it's like, you've got this shredding going on. You've got this progressive music into R and B back into progressive. And it really is what Richie Kotzen is all about. He's a very, very complex guitar player, but it sounds so kick-ass. He's so diverse. Like one record is not the same as the next and so on and so forth, you know, but yet they all still sound like him. I love, I love that. I love when an artist takes chances I love when an artist is constantly evolving. Not too many people can do that. Richie, with his popularity being more of a niche in more than anything, you know, with fans, he's he's probably allowed to do that a lot more than many other artists where he knows he's making music for himself that the fans will appreciate, but he's, you know, he's doing it for him and what sounds good to him and what what he wants to do. So he's always pushing the envelope. He's always willing to change. And I feel that's really what sets him apart from others. Yeah, I I can't recall a time of him chasing a trend with popular music. It's always been, you know, his style and he wears his influences on his sleeve, but it's uniquely his, no matter what it is. And you you can always tell a Richie Kotzen composition, a vocal and guitar playing. Well, he talks about in interviews that Mother's Head reunion album, how he got a lot of pushback from Geffen Records at the time with what he wanted yeah. to do. And I think that was on yeah. one that, that was on one of the interviews that you did with him, how he talks about how he wanted to use his wife at the time to sing backup vocals. He wanted to do a few things different with the arrangements and he got a lot of pushback. There was a there was controversy with the producer who was doing it. Can you dive into that? Like, what did, what did you learn about that process? Well, besides the fact that Geffen was, seemed like a total nightmare. Well, it wasn't necessarily just Geffen. It was basically just John Klogner, which was the A&R guy that signed him. Like he had said in the interview, you know, he had his wife on, you know, the demos as far as the background vocals. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he said something like, no woman will be on 
one of my records, you know, I mean, and John Claudner said that he had something to do with the problems he had with Cher or something, somebody, but he made him replace the background vocal, like brought in Timothy B. Schmidt and a couple other people. And I think Deanna, his ex-wife that was on that record, I think she's still on it. Claudner may not know that at the time, but he was just really frustrated they wanted him to be one thing, you know, coming off the whole poison thing. And that's just not really what he was. He just, he got a lot of blowback from Claudner basically. And then Claudner jumped ship to Columbia, took Aerosmith with him. And then Geffen essentially just, I think what he said, they put out like 15,000 copies of that record and pulled the plug on it. And that was that. It sounded like it was just creatively a really frustrating time for him. Buttonheads of Claudner, you know, and there's a track on that record called A Woman and a Man. Even his, I think it was his manager and his publisher at the time were like, I think he said, I'm paraphrasing with something. I really hope Geffen doesn't fuck this up because they saw dollar signs with that song. And lo and behold, Geffen went and fucked it up. And it's, it's an amazing, the notes he hits on that song are just spine chilling, I think, but they, screwed it up only put out like 15 grand and just killed the record before it was even given a chance I mean there's no promotion for it other than the the motherheads video after that it was just dead in the water now he struggled to get out of his contract after that too right uh no they actually they just dumped him wasn't there some negotiating going on before they dumped him too like he was it wasn't is just like, okay, we're going to release 15,000 copies of the CD or record. And then we're done with you. Like they wanted, didn't they want to hang on to his rights for, for a bit? And he had to go and, and to kind of almost beg them to get out of it. I, I don't, I'd have to go back and look. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily recalling, but I mean, if I remember right, I think, you know, they bought it out or something. And send him on his merry way, but like he, yeah, he doesn't have the rights to that record though, from what I understand. Because I had said something to him, or in the course of one of the interviews I did with him about, and it was right around the time that I did the 20th anniversary retrospective on that record. I said, "What about you know re-releasing it? You know bonus tracks and whatever else?" And he said he didn't have the rights to the record. So after the Mother's Head reunion album, he did a couple records on Shrapnel, the Intergalactic Fusion Experience, the album with Greg Howe, and then he did Wave of Emotion in 96, followed up by Something to Say, which are both great records as well. And you do see his songwriting evolving as well as his style of music. As he moved forward what is in Bipolar Blues, which is what, the cover record where he did all the, all the blues songs? Yeah, it, I mean, it's got a few originals, but primarily it is a cover record. And what is, is I mean, a very introspective record because he was going through his divorce at that time when he's writing out. So a lot of that's really introspective and kind of dark. And I, I think that was another big leap as far as his songwriting goes, was that record. Mm-hmm. There's always, there's like four records that I've, I think four. Motherheads, then What Is, and then Slow, and then Into the Black were just big leaps, I think, as far as his songwriting and musicianship. When did you first meet Richie? Uh, first time I met him would have been 
in May of 2000. The first time I ever actually got to see him live was in March of 2009. And then I finally got to meet him. And that concert was out in uh, Anaheim, California. And then I got to meet him in May of 2010 in Nashville with my uh, friend Michelle, who lives down in Florida. He's also a super, super big Richie Dotson fan as well. We had planned it. It actually was on my birthday or whatever, but he was playing at the Mercy Lounge and she actually went to all the shows on that leg of the peace sign tour. She took vacation and followed him through that whole like two or three week tour. Um, Rented a car, traveled all over the East Coast. Nice. But uh, we met up there in Nashville or whatever. That was was the first time I got to meet him was uh, mid-May 2010. Now, the Anaheim show that you went to, was that the one with Paul Gilbert and George Lynch? Yep. That's an yep. incredible show. That was, that was the one I, I didn't know that they were jamming at the end. And I had had a total cluster of a travel day from Kansas to L.A. We had issues with the rent a car once we got, well, it was Orange County. John Lane Airport, we got there and they were trying to screw us on our rental car and so I got I can die happy that I grew up with out there long. I want to go get him and go back to my hotel. Then I was there, you know, and I mean, I had a friend of mine who was a real good friend of mine. She has since passed away named Lori. Richie hit the stage. She was a real good friend. By the time she and Richie was in, she's like, where the hell are you at? I'm not a big, I appreciate what they do. I'm not a big, turn in fan. She had finally gotten hold of Richie and told him because uh, Richie knew they were playing. At that time, he had a forum, so I was like, like "You know what?" So he I've knew Richie through there, you know, because he had he would get on there and answer questions with fans and stuff periodically. So he knew of me on there, but you know, they weren't do they didn't do meet and greets and stuff at that time, you know. And so I was like, "Damn, I want to meet Richie," and she was trying to arrange it. And she finally got a hold of him after the show, I guess. So he came out looking for me. And I was gone. And he's like, I can't find him. You know, and he can't miss me because I'm six foot four, 300 pounds. You know, I'm a big dude. <laughs> so she calls and she's like, where the hell are you at? I'm like, I'm back at the hotel. Why? And she's like, well, Richie went out looking for them. I'm like, son of a bitch. You know, <laughs> but so I had to wait another year, but it was worth it because it was on my birthday. And that was the show there at the Mercy Lounge. And, my two favorite all-time artists are Richie Cotts and John Crabby. And lo and behold, I'm sitting there, me and Michelle are watching the show. And Michelle's like, hey, who's that at the bar? And I'm like, I don't know. I looked over there, some guy at the bar in a ball cap. And she's like, I'm like, I don't know who that is. She goes, I think that's John Crabby. And I'm like, I know John Crabby because I worked with his band Union and stuff. You know, and I'm a huge fan. This guy was clean shaven, had a ball cap on, didn't look like he had any long hair. I'm like, it's not John Karabi. You know, I know John Karabi. She's like, no, seriously, I think that's John Karabi. So I'm like, screw it. I'm going to go up and get a water. And a little bold, I walk up to the bar right next to the guy, and he turns. I'm like, it is John Karabi. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of cool. I get to spend, you know, my birthday with my two favorite artists, you know, of all time. And many, many, many Jack and Cokes were shared. And a lot of laughs that night, so. It was cool. And I'm, I essentially got to interview him that night, but it was off the record. Like after the show, he came out and sat with us for the hour or so, you know, me and Michelle and Karabi and, you know, we sat around and drank and bullshitted. And I essentially got to 20 questions. He 
It's interesting that being that they're good friends, they've never done anything musically together. Yeah, they, that's what I because I was like, I was talking. I said something to Richie. I was like, "Oh, John Crabby's here," and he's like, "Where?" And I was like, "Over there." And so you know, they went over and shook hands and caught up or whatever. And I was talking to Richie, and I was like, "I didn't even know you knew him." He's like, "Oh yeah." You, I, Richie said some of the times they've always wanted to collaborate, but they've never the planets never align just right. Their schedules are always so wacky or whatever. And I was like, Oh, that'd be freaking cool. You've actually sat down and you've done three interviews with them. Yeah, I think so. I think it's three or four. Yeah. One was the, the mother's head reunion anniversary interview. We talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it is three. What, What is it about Richie when you meet him? I mean, what's he like? as a, as a person, I mean, he does come off with a, you know, when you watch his YouTube videos, he does some of the, the dry humor things and, and, you know, his Instagram posts, very, very funny. My he is very, very dry humor, quick witted. Um, some people don't know how to take you. Like I've heard people at the same place I was at meeting and guys kind of a dick <laughs> and it's like, he, he's just, he's dry those type of people you have to have prior experience with people like that. And then you realize that's just how they are. Right. You know, but very, very nice guy, funnier than hell. And just a very nice guy. He's he's soft spoken. He's quiet and, and dry is the best way to put it. My favorite YouTube video is the one where he does the interview while he's walking through the Hills yeah. And it's, it's hysterical. And I had to watch it a couple times because the first time I watched it, I'm like, this isn't a joke. Like he's serious. And then you start to, you know, if you watch it more than a couple times, you start to pick up on the little bits here and there that kind of give off that it's a whole, it's a bit. And it's just, it's, it's funny. And then there's the one that he had to take down because his mother called him. And I've never seen that one. And I would, I, I, you know, he would do these skits or whatever on Instagram or on YouTube or whatever. And there was something that happened where his mother got all upset and she like made him take the video down. I don't know what, what it was about, but he does a lot of those things, wow. you know, I don't remember that one. Yeah. And then, you know, he does, you know, there's, there are bits with him and his wife where, you know, they do an interview or, you know, over Christmas or, or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just, it's just really good stuff. He's got a really good way about him that he doesn't take himself too serious. And Have you ever seen the video where he's getting tattooed after like the day after wiping out playing basketball and his face is all cut up. Yeah. And he's got like the, the, the tooth. Yeah. The Billy Bob teeth in. Yeah. He got the Billy Bob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's his mom in that video. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's walking around kind of behind him. Yeah, that's his mom. He's talking about, you know, Jack Daniels, and he's very romantic and banging broad. Definitely. That's his mom that's having to listen to this. You know, when when we move through his solo career and we see the catalog that he has, and then he gets into the winery dogs where he explodes. His popularity explodes. As much as one's popularity can explode in this day and age you know i mean i think the days of being the superstar 
stratosphere are gone forever, especially for an artist like Richie, who's already been in the game for decades. But he explodes in the fashion that now people are starting to be like, wow, who's this guy playing guitar with Billy Sheen and Mike Portnoy? Who's this guy singing? Uber talented. Then you start to go back and review his solo stuff. And you start to realize, wow, this guy's been making music for a long time. And it's really good stuff. And it's, you know, as as you're excited to explore all all those things, all, all that material, you also have like a sense of sadness that stuff that good is really unknown, underground. And you're like, with all the crap that's being played out there today where, you know, there's 30 producers hooked on one song and everything is overproduced and just auto-tuned and pro-tooled the crap out of. You've got a guy like writers. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And then you've got a guy like Richie, who's more or less playing all the instruments on his record, singing and playing guitar at a very high level. It's like, wow, why, why isn't an artist? And there are many other artists out there like him, but why isn't someone like him known by everybody? It's baffling and it's frustrating as a fan. I think a lot of, and he's talked about it in multiple interviews with people, is a lot of those people that are in the stratosphere or whatever, you know, the pop pop stars or whatever, you know, they play the game with the record companies, you know, sell their souls to them, and he won't do it. And, you know, now with the advent of the internet, like he's talked about elsewhere, you know, since Into the Black, you know, he can control his career even control of everything so he he doesn't need the a and r guy and big machine behind him i think he's better off for it i agree you know, but he wouldn't wouldn't play the game i mean there's other stories i've heard like i think it was on the what the the song rust or whatever it was something to say record some a and r guy just hated that song so we didn't sign him and that was from what i understand for a major label here in america and that's a great song. That on. That's a yeah. gr- it's a phenomenal song. Wasn't that originally off the Wilson Hawk record? No, Rust is on. Something to say. I'm trying to think of what I'm. Th- um, we can go down the road of the Wilson Hawk record. You and I have discussed this uh, too. If if Richie does record. ever listen to this podcast or whatever, Richie, please. Put that out on CD. Just do a limited run. Yeah. Sell it at your at your shows on tour. But that material needs a physical format. I agree. Oh, it's I, mean, so I don't have a record play anymore, but I'd, I'd buy it on record too. Such a great I'd album. buy a record player. Yeah, I, mean, I, I remember when it first came out, like, you know, there was, it was like, all, it just appeared. You know, the song Everything Good came out, the video, mm-hmm. which is one of my all-time favorite songs of his. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And then all of a sudden, there's this Wilson Hawk record. And I'm like, okay. And then you know, I read the backstory on it, where it was, you know, between him and Richie Zito and some background musicians, you know, for the horns and everything and like that. And I'm like, okay. So getting in touch with his R&B and soul roots. You know, nothing too far off the beaten path. It's not like he's doing death metal. I was like, okay, and I remember download, buying it, downloading it, and I was just like, I mean, it's, yeah, it needs to be on a physical. It's such an amazing record. 
And I wish he would do a whole album of just piano tunes, like piano ballads or piano rockers. But he's such an amazing pianist and keyboardist. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's that vibe on the Wilson Hawk record. But that that album's, I'd probably say my top five is all my all-time favorite records of his. I had to choose. Yeah, I mean. It would be hard to do because there's so many. You know, we saw, or I saw him on the Salting Earth Tour. I saw him on the Cannibals and the Salting Earth Tour along with, I've seen him with the Winery Dogs like three times. I just saw him this past May in St. Charles, Illinois. There's a song on Salting Earth called Meds where it's, it's piano and it's keyboard. It's just a phenomenal song. And during that tour, a lot of his, you know, he played guitar, obviously, maybe half the show or maybe 60% of the show. But the other part was on the keys. He was he was right. playing the keys. And just an amazing, amazing piano player. When he does the winery dogs and he does whatever song he's going to play that night, you know, he'll, he'll sit down with the guitar strap around his neck, you know, in, in the back and he'll start playing the piano and then he'll he'll go into a guitar solo. So he's singing. He's got this incredible voice. And he's playing guitar. And he's a masterful guitar player. And he's just as good as a piano player. I remember my buddy at the show like turned to me and said, That guy's an asshole. And I go, Why? What 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 what, what what's what did he do? He's like, dude, the guy is awesome at guitar, sings awesome, he's got a great voice, and he plays piano like he does. That dude's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah, I started laughing too. It really is a testament to him of just how, I mean, didn't he start out as a piano player, right? His first instrument that he learned was a was the piano. And then he heard Ace yeah, Freely play guitar play. and then he, he wanted to, to do, uh, he wanted to play guitar. If someone This was what turned him on to, turned him in the wrong direction, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah. So if somebody was listening to this podcast and wanted to check out Richie outside of the winery dogs and outside of the first record, Mother's Head Family Reunion, what oh, dang it. You make it hard for me. <laughs> so I know I know yeah. Mother's Head Family Reunion is your favorite Richie Conson record. And I know right. that what's that's what you would recommend to people if they wanted to check him out. And there are those that are familiar with him because of the winery dogs. We know that. So if, if, if you were to recommend a record, if someone was saying, well, I'm going to check out Richie, which, which album should I check out? I know what mine would be, but what would be yours? Hmm. Wow. I'm like sitting here flipping through his discography in my mind. Wow. And this is, you know, actually this isn't going to be a cop-out just because it has the name in it. But it would actually be the return of the Motherhead's Family Reunion record <laughs> or Go Faster. And okay. it's not a cop out. Yeah, I know. I got you. Um, I think because like he's got the song Chase It on there, which is a gorgeous ballad. So you have that with piano. So you have that aspect, you know, of his playing, which I totally love. And then, I mean, you got like Go Faster and. Yeah, fold again. Um, You've got faith. Faith, you're crazy. Oh shoot! It also has it has my all time favorite Richie song on there too. That he never plays live. 
He's never, What's as that? far as I know, he's never played it live. And that's Dust. Yep. Oh, Dust is incredible. I, yeah, I, I would actually, I would go with Go Fast. I'll go with the Go Faster title. Okay. But, you know, when I bought it, it was Return of the Motherhead. That Dust. was just a Japanese thing to sell more albums but because he had a full band and stuff on it. But, but God, there's so many, but I would probably go with that one because it, I think it captures all his strengths. Yeah, the, I'd go with that one. The song Dust gives me chills every time I hear it. The guitar work is incredible. The hook is incredible. Um, his scene is awesome. You know, whenever I see him live, I'm like, just play Dust. Just do it. He's never played it. I don't know. I mean, he's got so many great songs in his catalog and plays the songs that he wants to, to, to play, obviously. I mean, you know, no. when, he, when he plays songs like Fear live and he does the guitar break in the middle where he just, just goes off into a journey um, that you have no idea how what he's going to do. The guitar playing is just magic on that live. One of these days, I'm going to see him and he's going to play Dust and I will be forever satisfied. <laughs> do you have the album something to say from japan no i have no i don't have the japan version okay <laughs> this is ironic because my friend michelle and you know what's going on in my personal life and everything but she got richie to do one of those cameo things for me the other day oh really you know, to cheer me, yeah, yeah to cheer okay me up. cool you know it was a total surprise i woke up one morning and She's like, you're going to, she goes, you know, check this out. And there's this really huge long link. And I was like, she doesn't ever send me spam. So I'm not worried about it. Yeah. I click on it. And it was, it was a video from Richie to me. That's <laughs> Paradox awesome. is probably besides a woman and a man, my favorite Richie tune. I love that tune. It's totally unlike anything he's ever done. And I wish I had it uploaded on my phone. So I could send you the MP3 of it, but I don't. Uh, I got the CD, but I don't have a CD player right now. At the, now that was right now, now that's only on the Jap- Japanese version, right? Because the all the US versions of it and uh, Wave of Emotion, for some reason, they totally screwed up the track listing and taken songs off and added songs that were from uh, an EP that came a four song EP that came out in Japan after wave of motion mm-hmm. and it had two brand new songs on it. Uh, time's going to tell. And, um, shoot, I'm drawing a blank on the second song. Anyways, they they've taken songs off of both wave of emotion and something to say, whoever's got the rights to release them in the U S and originally it was done by spitfire records in 1999 or 2000. And they took off Paradox and put on one of those bonus tracks from that EP for some reason. Totally And totally messed up the track listing. The track listings are out of order. So I can't even listen to those releases because it's not how I remember them. Because be, if I listen to them, I'll be like, what the hell is this song? You know, Rust is supposed to be next. Anyways, there's a song on there that's called Paradox. It wasn't even a bonus track on something to say. It was just the last track on the record. And it's, check it out. Totally un, it's totally unique. You can't find it online anywhere. It's weird. Evidently, Michelle asked him to sing 
or play some of that song for me? And he's like, I don't even remember writing that. I don't even know what song she's talking about. <laughs> he's like, so sorry, buddy. You know, can't play it for you because I don't even remember it. Well, isn't you that know, isn't that the running joke? I've seen some interviews with the Winery Dogs, and and they'll be talking Billy Sheen and Mike Portnoy will be talking, and that Richie won't remember what they're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, honestly, I don't think it's a joke. I just I couldn't even imagine how many songs you know, just besides what he's released what's laying in his vault. Right. You know, he's so prolific as far as all that goes, or he, he used to be side career as a contractor and a construction worker <laughs> <laughs> gets in, gets in the way of his love for music now or not gets in his way, but his other passion, you know, yeah, but, he's just did his deck a couple of years ago. And yeah, I, every time he does a yeah. video and he posts it on Instagram and he's working with a saw, I like just cringe. Yeah. I'm like, just don't yeah. do anything to your fingers. You know, it's like, ah, oh. yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, no, <laughs> you can hire somebody to do that. He yeah, has, he's ex- always like, I don't remember that. My album mm-hmm. that I would recommend to people would be 24 hours. Oh, it's a hell of a choice. Yeah. I mean, it's got help me, which is one of his signature solo songs. Uh, Love is Blind, which I think is a phenomenal. Now, now, would you go with the uh, Help Me non-bass synth version or the Help Me with bass synth? <laughs> well, I didn't know there were two versions. Yeah. Like, cause, do you hear that buzz that's in that song? Yeah. The, like when it first came out, when that record first came out, I got it, you know, obviously. And I was like, what in the hell is this buzz? Because I had it on my home stereo. I was pissed. I was like, I got a damn faulty CD. And so I put it in my car stereo, same thing, pissed off. So I ordered another one. And I get it, and I'm like, what this buzz? You know, and then, you know, it was on that one. I was, I mean, he had his forum up at the time, and I'm like, what is the deal with this damn? And I did a review of it. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell this buzz is on the song, but it needs to go. And there was a bunch of us on the forum were like, yeah, it's kind of annoying. And he actually put out a single where he took out the bass. It's a bass synth. And he took it out. I'll have to pay attention next time I listen to the, to the album. Well, yeah, it's on, yeah, it's on the album, but he's got a, I don't know, maybe he can go on CD, maybe he's got, he might saw that single up there where it does the, it's called the NS version where it's no synth. Well, <laughs> I know he did the, he did the compilation record, the essential Richie Cotson. So I wonder which right. version that he used on that, because I know Help Me is on that album, too. But Love is Blind is a great song. Stop Me is yeah. another great track. Bad Situation. Twist of Fate. Oh, yeah, Twist of Fate. Tell Me That It's Easy. I don't know why. Just a complete awesome album. I love that record. I love the Go yeah. Faster record as well. I mean, my favorite Richie songs on that one. Peace Sign is a great album. The funny story behind that, when I saw him in 2010, he had put out, that was on that, for that tour. And the song, We're All Famous, off Peace Sign, mm-hmm. always thought it had like a really catchy, like Sly and the Family Stone vibe to it. And I remember we were sitting there, me, him, Michelle, and Crappie. I was like, are you going to put out another video or anything, anything off this record? Well, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it. And I'm like, why well, have this like video treatment? in my mind for where all famous 
could I just pitch it to you? And he's like, sure. And it was like him and a band dressed up like in the seventies, like flying the family stone, with like big bros and like big neon behind them. Like, you know, big, I don't know where I got it. It was like a big neon rainbow and then like neon sign with we're all famous it flashes when the chorus comes on and shit. And he's like, I think you need to stop drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, ever since I heard that song, I'm not that creative. Like usually I can't envision stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, but ever since I heard that song, it was like, it just had this big like disco dance neon big fro bell bottom visual to it like flying the family stone disco thing or something i need to revisit that song well i love it you know it's it's, i don't know it just has that vibe to me i guess and into the black is another album that just knocks me on my ass think of you know you can't save me and fear fear when he does that live when he plays Fear Live, and there are, there's videos of it, he goes into an, another world when he starts playing. When him and yeah. him and Dylan, who plays bass for him, is just absolutely incredible, man. I mean, it's just, I can't say, hearing the song, and the studio version, does not do that song justice. When you hear it live, it is a completely different song. Right. Doing what Have the- you ever seen the? And it's on his YouTube channel. It might still be. But like he used to do these basement jams with Dylan and Mike. Yeah. And they do Fear as one of them. Mm-hmm. They did, I think, The Shadow and a couple other ones. But yeah, him and Dylan walk in and he gets in that, I don't know, trance, I guess you could say. I don't know what you would call it. Yeah. And it's just, they play off of each other so well. When they do that live, it's it's a definite highlight whenever he's on tour, whenever he's playing. And that's the thing, too. I mean, you could go see Richie when he does his U.S. leg. You know, he usually does, he usually does at least one a year doing a few years. And then he'll go to Europe or South America. Or he'll go somewhere and then he'll come back and do another one. Now, I think he just finished the European tour. He's headed over to South America. So he's probably going to be done for the rest of the year after he finishes this. And I. The rumor is, well, is that he, they're going to probably do another, write another Winery Dogs record, either at the end of this year, or early part of next year. But to see him live, it's not going to cost you more than twenty five bucks, and it's nope. going to and it's going to be in a small venue where you're pretty much no, you know, ten to twenty feet away from him. And I'm telling you, it'll be it'll, it's the best. It's one of the best things you'll ever see live because you'll just you just get mesmerized by his playing. You know, his band is just, you know, Mike Bennett and Dylan Wilson are just phenomenal players in their own right. I highly, highly recommend anyone that's listening to check out Richie Cotton live outside the winery. Dog. Of course, when you go see the winery dogs, you're talking about three of the best musicians at their uh, at their craft, drums, bass and guitar than there is. I mean, that is like the top of the line or very near top of the line. But Dylan Wilson and Mike Bennett are, are no slouches either. They are phenomenal players. 25 bucks, 30 with tax and the, and the, and the stupid fees that they, that they, uh, that they charge you. You can go to a small club, small venue, and you can watch the best guitar player 
making music today. And it is, he, he won't do any of his winery dog stuff. I don't think he's ever done any of his, and the solo stuff that I've seen him, he does not. But there is, there's so much good material in his solo catalog that he doesn't need to play that. I saw him. I just wish he would go back farther. Yeah. He, I, won't, he won't. Cause he doesn't remember the stuff. Well, and actually, I, I mean, I understand the reason why he won't, but you know, it's not who he is now. He doesn't feel in touch with that. And I can understand that. But yeah. And I get it because he is an artist that does strive to be different, you know, and does right. push, the, push the envelope. You know, I, I do understand that. When you talk about his new stuff, like like Riot or Venom, that just was released, totally different than what he did on Salting Earth, and totally different than he did in Cannibals. You know, we talked, we we got a little bit into into the black, but you know, when you talk about that record with "You Can't Save Me," and we we got off on the tangent, fear, but also doing what the devil says to do till you put me down, sacred ground, uh, living in bliss, my angel, your lies is another yeah. great song. I mean, just the phenomenal phenomenal record he did a show somebody they filmed half of it which i don't know why they didn't film the other half i think it might have been in germany but anyway they uploaded like half the show it just came on the other day and the version he does of doing what the devil says to do i don't know if he went like off into one of the fear trances or what but it was probably the best version of him doing that song live i've heard in years I'll have, to, I'll have to send you the link when I get off, you know, off the phone. But I remember it came on. I'm like, cool, he's doing, you know, doing what the devil says to do. And at the end of it, I had to like back it up and rewatch it because I was just like, holy crap, he went off. Yeah, no, he's he was feeling it. He just, yeah, he does that. You know, when even when you go into like the Forty Deuce project, which I love that record, and I know there's a story behind that record like it was recorded in like the hills or something like that after a party or it was it was like with these japanese punk rockers or artists or whatever and it was thrown together very quickly as the story goes or what i remember hearing about it but that's got some i was just listening to that a couple weeks ago and that's got some really 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 good good material as well yeah i think they were called bomb child that's what they were called. The group or, or the, with Richie? I think they were called 40 Deuce though, right? Well, yeah, they were called 40 Deuce, but the three guys that were in that band mm-hmm. had a band that before that, and that's how Richie discovered them or whatever. They had a band called Bomb Child, which is like a punk rocker band. Yeah, I can't remember how it went. Like my friend Lori was real close with Richie around that time. I remember her telling me how it went. But it's been, you know, that was teen years. No, record he did the creation with Stanley Clark, which I have, which I think it's I don't oh, know Veritu, Veritu, yeah. which is great, different. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's Simmons, Gene Simmons songs on um, Gene Simmons asshole. Yeah, yeah, Gene Simmons. Yeah, um, a lot of the, that record was recorded at his commercial studio that Richie had at the time. You know, then there's the Mr. Big album that he did after Paul Gilbert. Um, yeah, those, I remember there is. When 98, well, in 98, he put out the What Is record, which actually has Billy and Pat on it because they co-wrote Walked Out with him. Right. But, um, and then I remember hearing he joined Mr. Big and I thought, oh, shit. You know, here we go with the whole hair band crap again. You know, the press is going to be all over this, like stink on, you know what. But 
And then I remember getting that record and I was like, you know, it kicks off with what electrified. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, you know, and it goes into static and I was like, all right, that's good. I liked Mr. Big before. I was just like him and Paul Granny, you know, they both came from the, the shredder school, but I wonder how Richie's going to fit. If they're, hopefully they're not just going to make him a hired gun and play what we want you to play, you know, yeah. and then, you, know, you get the CD and crack it open. He, there he is in the songwriting credits. You can definitely hear his influence on the record. Uh, actually on both records that he did, plus the best of ballads album that they did where he did, I don't know, they what, did two or three June songs and then they did several re-records. Yeah, well, you can definitely, I mean, you can correlate the Poison record and the Mr. Big record. Both had their sound prior to Richie joining and right. with Richie's impact, you can definitely hear that influence on both those albums. One, the only difference is, is you know, one had one band had Paul Gilbert, which who who is just a phenomenal guitar player in his own right, and the other had CC Deville. You know, you're definitely upgrading, you know, guitar playing with with Poison, um, and to a sense with Mister Big too. Paul Gilbert, although they're from the Shredder school, you know, they're both different styles. I go back and I've, you know, I said it earlier in this podcast, the R and B, the soul playing that Richie has is so unique to what he does in the genre that he plays in. You know, there's not a lot of players that are able to have that sound while shredding, while coming in and out of a solo like that. And um, it's just amazing to hear. I mean, you really, the cannibals record has a really heavy R and B feel to it. If there's one solo album that really does encapsulate the R and B influence that Richie has, it's the cannibals record. You know, there, there's moments on each solo record that haven't, but from beginning to end, I feel that album really, really does have that that feel, that influence to it. Yeah, and that has another one of my favorite tunes of his, which is The Enemy. Great song. Really yeah. good song. I love that song. And when I saw him with, with Winery Dogs a couple months ago, he looked like he was really enjoying himself up there with both Mike and Billy. I know when he left, not left, I don't want to say that, but when they went on hiatus after the Hot Streak album, you know, he mentioned that he'd been a solo artist for such a long time that he wanted to get back to being just Richie for a bit and doing some material that you know he had written for himself. And I think that was that's important because they really turned around a second record very quickly. It really didn't give Richie a chance to be his own artist at that point. You know, he I, I think he was craving for a break to do his own thing. Now that he has had it for the last couple of years, I think he is ready to get back with those guys and start writing some material. He looked they looked so in sync with each other, so much chemistry with those three guys. I do hope they release another record and do another tour because watching them play live is just incredible. Yeah, I kind of like how they did that too. There's really, you know, there's nothing to promote. They really didn't do any press for it. They just went out and played, you know, and you could tell by their interaction on stage and then like, you know, with their social media, they seemed a lot looser than they had previously with the hot streak cycle, I guess would be the right word. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. They're recharged, re-energized. As much as I would rather have a Richie solo record, 
if you're going to do winery dogs, another winery dogs record first, that's fine because it's still Richie, but kind of hoping for maybe he's, you know, got a solo album up his sleeve. He hasn't said anything about, and then he'll do another winery dogs record. Well, he's released like three songs as singles, right? Over the last year and a half. Yeah. The damned riot and venom. Yeah. And he, he had mentioned in an interview, I think with Eddie trunk that just putting out the singles, benefits him more at this time i think he said or or was just kind of the where he was at as an artist and it's disappointing because i always like the cd i always like the physical copy so i hope there's more material i think his plan originally was to release a a single every couple of months or every month and then when there's 10 released then put out an album so maybe that means he does have more material you know, I know he's been with the fires and the floods and everything that he had at his house. That kind of put a damper on getting anything done, but you know, we'll see. I mean, he could, at the time when it came out, like the Wilson Hawk record, that came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. There was not even talk of it coming, you know, and then next thing you know, boom, here, here's a new record. And everybody's like, what? Maybe he'll, maybe he'll do that with a solo record. I don't know. Yeah, we shall see. Any any Richie's good Richie, whether it's solo or with the winery dog, I'm happy. I agree 100. So, percent the 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 world is a better place when there is Richie Katz and music to enjoy. Amen and testify. Well, let's end with that. It's been a great conversation, Crash. I really do appreciate you doing this. Always a great topic when and when talking about Richie. Uh, I could spend probably another hour or two talking about him. One of my favorite artists. I know he's one of yours, if not your favorite. But well, he uh, is. He's, he's my Elvis. <laughs> he is. He's great. And I make it a point to go see him every time he comes to Chicago in the area. Um, I hope he comes again soon, either with himself or Winery Dogs. But uh, I look forward to it. Yeah, and if he hears this, you need to come to Kansas once in a while. <laughs> Yeah, come on, Richie, for Crash. Do it Do it for Crash. As, as, as Matt Dillon said in The Outsiders, do it for Johnny. Do it for Crash. Yeah. So. Yeah, <laughs> he'll just laugh. <laughs> well, all right, <laughs> yeah, man. Okay. I appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. And all right, sounds good. Once again, this is Jay Scott, and you were listening to The Hook, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. You all have a great day. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 